Welcome to Mazum Gumzo, African Scholarly Conversations, a podcast that highlights the perspectives of various stakeholders in academia and research fields across Africa through open dialogue on Mazum Gumzo on scholarly communication in Africa. Today's episode features an engaging session on the topic Regional Open Science Dialogue in Southern Africa by Joy Owango, the Executive Director of TCC Africa, Professor Olushola Bandele Oyewole, Secretary General, Association of African Universities, Professor Tawana Kupe, Vice Chancellor of University of Pretoria, Dr. Nokutula Nchunu, Deputy Director, African Open Science Platform, AOSP, Professor Roda Wanyenze, Executive Board Member, Declaration on Research Assessment, DORA, Mrs. Susan Velsman, Director, Scholarly Publishing, Academy of Science of South Africa, Mrs. Mweneni Shahungu, National Open Science Policy, National Commission on Research, Science and Technology, Namibia, Ms. Ruhina Anand, Executive Director, Global Publishing Development, as Plus, Dr. Rakeshni Ramota Preschool, Acting Deputy Director General, Technology Innovation, Department of Science and Technology at the University of Pretoria. Dr. Peggy Boateng, Executive Secretary, African Academy of Sciences. Professor Rafos Ismail, Senior Researcher, Center for Science and Technology Studies, University of Leiden, and Associate Fellow, University of Sussex. Professor Madara Ogot, Chief Executive Officer, Ubuntu Alliance. Dr. Lucien Abrahams, Director, Link Center, University of the Witwatersrand. Ms. Ellen Tise, Chairperson of the Board, South African National Library and Information Consortium, Sandlink. Dr. Clifford Nzumani, Deputy CEO, National Research Foundation, South Africa. Now we are going to listen. Um, you may stop sharing. Thank you. Now we are going to listen to one of our partners uh, from PLOS, and the, that is the Executive Director of Global Publishing, Ms. Rohina Anand, who has been uh, through PLOS, who they've been, facilitate, they've been supporting us in facilitating these open science dialogue conversations in Africa. As, I, as uh, Ms. Nodumo had mentioned earlier, that, uh, this is the third part of a series of continental conversations we've been having. What made this one in South Africa different and a bit regional is because the status of open science is a bit more advanced on this side of, uh, of the continent. And that is why we merged it with also a national policy dialogue. So without further ado, we'll have Ms. We'll Anand take over and she'll be taking us through increasing equitable participation in open science. Over to you, Ms. Anand. Thank you, Joy. Can I just check you can see the presenter view of my slides? Yes, 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 we right, can. Thank you. Um, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, nearly afternoon, I believe, where you are. Um, but I'm really delighted to be able to speak with you all today and to be part of such a distinguished program of speakers. Um, this uh, collaboration, I'm going to talk about PLOS's role in this collaboration with um, TCC Africa and the Association of African Universities. And, uh, but also want to highlight, you know, the, the partnership with our host institutions today, the University of Pretoria and the University of Cape Town. Um, 
So my name's Rahina Anand. I'm Executive Director for Global Publishing Development at PLOS. And in case any of you are not aware of PLOS, we are a not-for-profit, full open science publisher whose mission is to empower researchers to accelerate progress in science and medicine by leading a transformation in research communication. And we're very serious about that mission, that transformational mission. And we actively strive for openness and transparency throughout the whole research communication process. Uh, that's because of the benefits that they bring to knowledge dissemination, but importantly to its utility and its reproducibility. And therefore we're purposefully open by design. So I'm gonna talk about more about that mission and how as part of that, we're trying to increase equitable participation in open science and how collaborations such as these with TCC Africa and AAU and our partners on the ground are, are part of this. Sorry, I'm just trying to advance my slides. Okay. So from our inception at PLOS, we've been focused on catalyzing broad scale systemic change. And what we've learned is that catalyzing change is possible. Over the past 20 years, we've helped to prove the viability of open access, which is now mainstream. We changed the publishing landscape via PLOS One, uh, which was the first multidisciplinary publication that was inclusive of all rigorous ethical research. And we helped focus the conversation about peer review on rigor and transparency and demonstrated the importance of open data availability. But for all that success, in a way, in establishing open, we also learned that there have been unintended consequences. Author pays models through article processing or article publication charges, or APCs as we often refer to them. They're exclusionary and they create a barrier to inclusion and knowledge sharing. And so I'll also start, I'll talk about how we're trying to start to address this at PLOS. So I know you'll all be aware of the UNESCO Open Science Recommendation. We've heard reference to it already this morning. But I wanted to start here with its definition of open science because it highlights points that are core to PLOS's approach and have always been core to PLOS's approach, but also more generally about how open science does have equitable participation at its core. So firstly, that inclusiveness is not only part of open science, but intrinsic to its principles. Open science isn't one thing, but a combination of various movements and practices, and all of these contribute and combine to making knowledge more available, more accessible and more reproducible. Ultimately, so that knowledge can have the tangible desired benefit that we want it to, i.e. for further knowledge creation, but also for society and humanity. Open science should enable and facilitate global collaboration and participation. And importantly, it applies to all disciplines, not just scientific, technical, engineering, or medical ones. So here, when we talk about science, we're talking about it as an organized system of criticism rather than a specific discipline or disciplines. Importantly and fundamentally, it's not a separate or standalone part of the scientific and research enterprise. Openness can and should be intrinsic to the whole research life cycle. 
So that means from ideation and planning and designing research to conducting research and generating knowledge, to validating, analyzing and interpreting that knowledge through to dissemination and reporting and sharing it. So open science underpins that whole research enterprise and process. And as the UNESCO recommendation and definition says, it involves greater transparency in the processes of scientific knowledge creation, its evaluation and communication and increased access to different research outputs. So how do we see that transition to open science at PLOS? Well, from our perspective, open science is about more than just being able to read an article. It's about providing the right context to understand it, the resources to replicate it, and as well as the tools to collaborate and make science better. Open science allows and encourages us to rethink how we share and consume research and to make that move from the constraints of the physical format and take advantage of the opportunities provided by the digital world. Open science principles, both philosophical and practical, are embedded with everything we do. So practically, we ensure availability and usability of scholarly publications, including data, methods, protocols, code, increasing transparency and making those outputs available to everyone to use and to build upon. Philosophically, we recognize that research is a fundamentally collaborative endeavor with open inquiry at its core. And we look to place this and the equitable and equitable participation at the heart of the research enterprise. All of which hopefully has the outcome that it enables researchers to address new questions and work across national and disciplinary boundaries. So this also moves us from publishing as an event that happens when an article appears to become a process that better mirrors how research is carried out and then communicated by researchers. So this might involve a registered report, which is a publication that outlines the planned research to a preprint or perhaps versions of preprints to share early versions of the work and get comments on that work to a peer reviewed article but alongside that, the peer review materials with i.e. the reviews and the editor comments. And then the underlying and then also associated research outputs, such as the data, the methods, the protocols, the code or materials associated with that research, as well as any iterations to correct errors or improve and add to results as the world as the work is built on and improved. And all of that results more in a digital knowledge stack rather than a solitary article. So what does open science look like in evaluating and communicating research? Well, we can categorize both philosophical and practical aspects of open science in publishing as follows. So these include transparent processes uh, such as identifiers and taxonomies, ORCID, which hopefully everyone will be aware of, but ORCID IDs ensure that researchers' work is properly attributed and that they receive credit for it, to the credit taxonomy, which ensures that each author's individual contribution to the research is defined, preprints I've just mentioned, but where authors share that early version of the work and get those public comments on it, but they enable rapid dissemination of results, they can establish priority for a group's work, and also generally lead to increased attention via citations. Open peer review is another transparent process. And here, by open peer review at PLOS, we mean only that the peer review materials are accessible, 
i.e. the peer reviews and the editor comments. What we don't mean by that is that the peer review processes are any less rigorous or robust, or that the usual ethical checks are not applied, only that those related materials are accessible. Through to the publication of multiple research outputs and acknowledging that all of these tell another part of the research story. So open data, code, methods, etc., through to protocols, reagents, reporting checklists, all of which hopefully, hopefully contribute to greater reproducibility and ability for that knowledge to be used and built on. Countering publication bias is also another incredibly important part of open science and publishing. And when I talk about publication bias, I mean where papers that report positive results are more likely to be published. And so one of the ways to counter that is via, for example, a registered report, which I referenced earlier. Um, so this is a publication that outlines the planned research, but where there is a commitment to publish the outcomes, as long as the research is carried out in a methodologically and ethically rigorous manner, i.e. irrespective of the perceived significance of the findings. And there are other inclusive criteria that we have been employing in our journals, and I'm going to provide an example of this now. So uh, the example I'm using here is to show that inclusive criteria are also possible on selective journals. So PLOS Biology, one of our journals, is a selective journal, but we're, we're mindful of the fact that selectivity has contributed to that reproducibility crisis in biology and biomedicine. And that's because of that culture where research showing what are perceived to be exciting results are valued over studies confirming results. So what we've tried to do is redefine that selectivity to offer more inclusive criteria for publication. And we've done that by focusing on the importance of the research question and the rigor of the research being done rather than how exciting the result is. Because if a research question is worthy of funding or resourcing, then the outcome should, we, should be worthy of sharing. And so as questions for publication, we ask, what's the contribution to the scientific process? Are we learning something that will significantly advance its field independent of the outcome? Are the approaches used adequate to answer this question in the best possible way? And has the research been executed to a high standard? Another example of the inclusiveness at the core of our journals is our recent inclusion in global research editorial policy, which we developed to address the issue of parachute research, which is also known as helicopter or neocolonial science. And this is when researchers travel to unresourced communities, conduct their research and leave, but often with little understanding or involvement of the, of the communities they've studied and few direct benefits to those local participants. So to try and counter that, we developed a questionnaire with members of our editorial community. And this outlines ethical, cultural and scientific considerations specific to inclusivity in global research. And that asks, for example, the reasons why, if there are no local authors included on the authorship list. And then all that information we provide to editors and reviewers during the peer review process to help them assess whether the research meets the journal standards, for the ethics of experimentation and research integrity. So as well as evolving our journals to better reflect the research process, we design them with open science principles, both philosophical and practical at their core. Researchers have always driven our mission forward, and in order to, for, us, for us to have a meaningful impact, we need to include the broadest range of their <laughs> overlays. 
So I've create new community and diverse communities of practice and ensure that they're at the forefront of shaping how we address the most pressing health and environmental issues facing our society. So these titles ensure diversity and equity of representation at all levels, editors, editorial boards, reviewers and authors, and we actively seek out research from underrepresented communities. As well as moving beyond the article, we need to be moved beyond the APC and um, article processing or publication charges, which is a business model that is focused on one research output. And this is something that we are very much actively and intentionally trying to do at PLOS. So as I described in PLOS Biology, we've tried to redefine selectivity in our publishing criteria, but we're doing this not only in that publishing and editorial criteria, but also in our business models. We can see that an APC model is not the appropriate business model for selective journals. And so that's why we developed our community action publishing model to show that that selectivity is possible without high APCs and to move beyond a model that is built on articles. Similarly, our global equity model does not work on the basis of a per article or per unit payment to access a publishing service. Moreover, it reflects countries' financial situations by relating to the World Bank criteria. And institutions in Research for Life countries can participate in both models for free, meaning authors from these institutions could publish for free in the journals included, subject, of course, to the usual acceptance criteria for publication. So we've designed our journals to align with open science philosophical principles, but we've also embedded and integrated open science practice in them. And so to do that, we define 14 core open science features that would be core to the portfolio, and they span the whole publishing process as shown by the timeline on the slide, and they embody the principles shown, those of accessibility, diversity, immediacy, and so on. And I'm not expecting everybody to read this, but this gives an, it, this shows um, all of those key features together, the 14 key features. And the color coding aligns with that shown on the previous slide to show which part of the research cycle each corresponds to. And these practices include some which researchers will be very familiar with, such as preprints, open licenses, and those which may be less familiar, such as code. But in all practices, we look to encouraging open science practice as much as possible and facilitating it and enabling it. And we work with our diverse communities to ensure adoption of these features can be as streamlined and painless as possible for them. We also conduct and publish a number of pieces of research on both our open science practices and stakeholder and user needs around this. And one example, one recent example of this, which we're really excited about is our open science indicators initiative. In this initiative, we've established a set of definitions and ways of measuring open science practices. That's to enhance our understanding of the researchers we serve, to identify barriers to improving research practices, to develop data-driven strategies and understand the effectiveness of the solutions we're suggesting. And the focus on improvement of practices is important. We're not aiming to audit publications for compliance reasons or even worse, to rank journals or institutions. We're aiming to understand how we can facilitate best practice. 
And so the intent is to establish a set of numerical indicators that we'll continue to measure and analyze on an ongoing basis. And we've now released two public data sets around this, which are fully um, scrutinizable by everyone in the community. And we, we really would welcome input both from researchers, from institutions and funders as to their potential future needs in this area. And these tranches of material contain both PLOS material and non-PLOS material for comparative purposes. So I'm going to finish up now, um, but I wanted to refer to what we see as the virtuous circle of the benefits for research, researchers and institutions that open science provides. Because by opening research to more expert perspectives and feedback earlier in the process, open science contributes to high quality reproducible and reliable research. And by making more of the artifacts of research and peer review public, open science demonstrates the trust and integrity of that research, but also of the researchers themselves. By making opportunities to publish, peer review and read accessible to everyone, open science at once enriches the scholarly literature, it attracts more readers to publish research, and it maximizes the impact of that research. It allows more researchers and scholars to build upon that work in future. Research careers are built on scholarly outputs. Open Science offers a broader range of publication outputs for those researchers, including study designs, data, code, methods, peer reviews, and other research products, so that researchers can share more of their science. And meanwhile, tools and technologies such as ORCID and Credit can identify, track, and represent each individual's contributions better. And together, more published research outputs and more detailed and accurate records can help researchers to showcase their work and build their reputation. That increased attention hopefully raises researchers' professional profiles, while the ability to demonstrate impact makes them a more compelling candidate for grants and funding opportunities. And high caliber research, well-regarded re researchers and measurable demonstrated impact all contribute to an institutional reputation for excellence, for progressiveness and for leadership. So at PLOS, we've always worked to raise the bar for openness and we've intentionally moved from open access to open science to try to continue to define new routes to equitable participation. And hopefully I've demonstrated some of those today. We're experimenters and we're continuing to experiment, but we also want to be good listeners and we, because we know that a rigid approach to open science is not gonna foster the equitable participation we want to see from all communities. So events such as these and working with you as key stakeholders in the research ecosystem is fundamental for us into moving open science forward, to finding solutions that work in local contexts rather than assuming that everything in the global north applies elsewhere, which it doesn't and it shouldn't. So that way, by doing these, these sort of collaborations, we can hopefully ensure that the co-creation of paths to open science that work for diverse communities is possible and that these simply do not simply extend existing power structures. So thank you for your attention today, and I will look forward to the discussion and the dialogue we're going to continue to have. Thank you so much, Rohina. Um, we're getting to our last speaker, and once we have we are done with the speaker, we'll get into our interactive session. It will not take more than five minutes. 
uh, we'll share with you the link online uh, in your in your in your in your Zoom chats. And our speaker right now is uh, our speaker right now is Dr. Rakshni Ramatul Priscal. Yes, she's the acting deputy director general uh, in charge of technology innovation and department at the Department of Science and Technology. And she will be talking about building structural equity and, inclu in, and inclusion in open scholarship. So she's here with us at the University of Pretoria and just give me a second as I load her presentation. Um, good afternoon, everybody. I know I'm holding you up from lunch, so. Um... <laughs> and I firstly would like to say I commend the efforts from PLUS in trying to engage our communities, and especially in Africa, uh, on the Africa engagement model. And uh, that's the first steps, and that's what we want to see roll out amongst other publishing houses. Uh, but that said, we need to also question what are the impact factors of those journals that are in there? And uh, but let me perhaps give you a different perspective. Uh, one around uh, where we see ourselves, and I'm using the University of Pretoria hat today, more than the, the Department of Science and Innovation. It's more friendly. <laughs> um, just a second, uh, colleagues. Ah, thank you again, Joy. Okay, so as we've heard that, you know, UNESCO has prepared an open, science definition for us about the movements for in, ensuring multilingualism is addressed, especially for us in Africa or the East, but making sure that scientific knowledge is openly available and that everyone's able to access and reuse information. And it's anchored on a number of different pillars and all the speakers today have spoken of these. Um, so what I'm going to talk about is uh, simply around how open science can democratize the scientific process and assist in reducing the structural barriers in science, technology, and innovation on the African continent. And what are some of the achievements that we are trying to move as a continent and as a country? Uh, so in order to unleash Africa's full potential, we all have to steer towards this global philosophy on open science, its capabilities, the infrastructure and realities around it, primarily because the benefits far exceed the challenges linked to the use of open science structures. And that looks at innovation, efficiency, quality and integrity, economic benefits, global benefits, and public discourse and engagement. And one thing that we also don't look at is the spotlight it puts on our African researchers, which oftentimes is diluted whenever we read these uh, articles. So let me try again. There we go. As an example, in 2019 in Addis Ababa, the African Union researchers have all come around as heads of states, and uh, they've talked about their commitment to the open science for Africa concept, looking at how each of these countries, each of their states uh, have to now start looking at harnessing science and technology uh, for development with increased and sustained science, technology and innovation investments to promote and support research and innovation activities with the requisite 
human and institutional capacities and capabilities. This is the only way in which can, we can steer towards achieving the sustainable development goals. Now, when you look at the status of readiness on the African continent, what are we looking at? We are looking at seven enablers, and these are clustered into political willingness to invest in the scientific research, human capital and research infrastructure for open science. We're also looking at what are the enabling policy frameworks and initiatives that are in place to support knowledge institutions, to support incentives and skill development, skills development so that everyone is on board and no one is left behind because of the digital divide, right? And look at this, look at the disparity on our African map. There are only five out of our over 50 states on the African continent that can completely state that yes, we have the necessary enablers in place. So there are systemic inequalities in the scholarly ecosystem, in the whole scholarly process. And let's try see what some of those um, reflect. So in 2020, one of the literature stated that 20 years after the open science movement, we're still far from being a truly open access world of knowledge exchange. Goes on to talk about geographic bias, which I will unplug a little bit later. And then we talk about one of the biggest ironies is that the bi-directional flow of information remains a theoretical concept. Um, even our my colleague, speaking before me, spoke of the theoretical concepts relating in the open science conversation. So what are some of these challenges that we are facing and seeing? I say this both from our research office perspective, and I have an expert here, Mr. Lazarus. Show your hand, Lazarus. All right. Lazarus is the UP expert. He also sits on the NRF committee, also sits on the DSI committee. He is a walking... Uh, encyclopedia relating to open science. So if you want to tap into his expertise, that's the gentleman to talk to. So the challenge firstly is inclusion, about improving con uh, conditions for participation, about promoting inclusion by removing the barriers relating to the exclusion by language, marginalized groups, and women. We also have the issue again of geographic bias, peer review bias, access to information and social justice. Right? The challenge we find is that we as Africa need to set our own agenda uh, and policy. And this may expand to other low middle and middle income countries. We need to start looking at supporting the open access infrastructures and systems about having affordable access uh, to the publishing system licensing terms, and obviously developing, adapting, and adopting new metrics for evaluation. And this is how we would make sure there's affordability and sustainability within the uh, open science um, space. The other challenge we said, as I've spoken of earlier, is geographic bias. Oftentimes, it's a lose-lose situation. What is there is that it's simply because there's financial gatekeeping from the onset. Which early career academic has $5,000 to pay upfront for APC charges, as an example? 
And some of the dangers are twofold. Firstly, there are limited opportunities to publish, especially in a, with the expensive APC charges. And of course, because of the internet being so vibrant and the technology developing so rapidly, our own research starts drowning uh, in the worsening invisibility of the online discoverability sphere. Everything's done with a click of a button and suddenly our voices are drowned out. So what we need to now start realize is that geographic bias is multi-layered. Firstly, the content is usually primarily about the global norms. The authors and our reviewers usually again are from the global norm. And oftentimes we see that, um, especially on big grants, you noticed on the big grants, and I say this from uh, the research office, um, oftentimes our researchers are sub-awardees. They are contracted to do a component, a work package of a larger project that is funded either in the EU, US or other global north partners. So then what is our contribution other than a tick box more often than not? And how do we change that? I enjoy saying yes. <laughs> the other issue I have is that of peer review bias, right? And here there's a different, it's a master narrative that continues to be represented. And it's an obstacle to diversity, inclusion and equity. Why? Because what we find is that peer reviewers usually tell our authors, and we see it with early career academics. I'm very passionate. I run the early career program at UP. So this is my space. What we find is that the feedback our early career academics get is criticism around the weaknesses of their work. What we don't find is information around, well, well done. This is a unique area of strength, but how about us reframing it? Because that creates a psychological barrier to academics being able to get through that first hurdle to start publishing. The other issue is that of information democracy. And here we have the issue around, are all people having access to information in the information age? And people need information to be able to participate in decision-making processes. And um, without equal access, we find marginalized groups, especially girls and women, um, are not able to participate in the economy. And then we find the digital gender divide becoming exacerbated. Um, and what's our role? What are we role as universities, educators, as students who are the next generation of skilled knowledge workers? What are we doing to change that discourse? Yeah. And the uh, final issue or challenge relates to the social justice, because the flipped subscription model and transformative agreements, which comes under as APC costs uh, or APC what AP charges do not uphold the cost of equity inclusion. Let's take this. I said it was 5,000 USD. Look at the RAND exchange rate. Which person or an early career academic with a grant of 50,000 and the Tutuka grant or an RDP grant funded by UP going to be able to do running costs and still be able to pay this? Right, And it leaves us out in the cold. 
I think that is the biggest challenge that we have. And what we need is a two-step process, a deconstruction of existing structures and a reconstruction of new structures that facilitate diversification, equity, inclusion, and social justice. Um, so is there hope? I always start with stating the context because this is always things we have. There is the Africa Open Science Platform that's anchored on Agenda 2063 and CISA 2024. And the Open Science Platform focuses on a multi-institutional and multi-dimensional initiative to mobilize Africa's scientific community to respond to both the opportunities and challenges presented by open science. It also provides a platform for African scientists to push for excellence in open science, obviously practice open science, and identify pathways to its application in the environment, in business, in society, and of course, the gender lens is definitely something that needs to be considered. And what this then does is promotes an integrated approach to policy, infrastructure, and the requisite human capital development that is so needed. And the creation of this platform for research and innovation enables the dissemination of goal-relevant Africa and research, uh, African research and innovation to government and citizens. So we just want everyone to be included and their voices heard. So here we're looking at what we need to start looking at. Collaborative agreements between service providers to maximize benefit for the African scientific community, right? What we need to also start looking at is coordinated efforts around ensuring institution and key societal role players are on board. And this looks at a federated hardware system and a network of excellence for open science, right? And I'm sure these were all discussed amongst the seven strands from the NRF colleagues earlier today, so I won't repeat. So the question is, what now? Well, we need open highways for the bi-directional flow of scholarly information. Parish, uh, as you were speaking of earlier, parachute research, why is Africa the hub for epidemiological studies? We are not so regulated. People come in, do their vaccine trials and all the other trials and run off. No benefits accrued to Africa. So let's start changing that. The next one is the, we want this Africa open science platform to disrupt unjust knowledge hierarchies to allow for the investment in infrastructure and human capital and to leverage partnerships with Global Not to openly share and use research to address our wicked challenges, not just that of Africa, the globe, COVID showed us that we are all immune to, uh, not immune to the same challenges that plagues our society. And when we do this, I always say librarians play a key role. When we are unable to tap into these paywall issues or these huge APC costs. Who do you call on your library? Why? Because they have other modalities of increasing visibility of your research. DSpace, as an example. They have a number of seminars that I've been running through with international experts on how to flip it around, making sure you are easily referenced and cited without having to pay those costs. So remember, library is very important. 
So what are some of the recommendations I propose? One, partnerships for impact. We're looking at global north, global south, and south-south partnerships in reshaping the open science movement towards being more inclusive and more equitable, where the voices of marginalized groups, including our women, are heard. We also need to take cognizance of our African context, that we need to look at alternative publishing models. We need to incentivize publishing in open access journals. We need to develop our own research data standards and protect our data uh, when we are exposing it onto the internet of things. Why do we say that? Because everyone's not about saying, ah, oh, Rikishni said those words first, even if I said it in a platform like this, it is the first to publish that gets acknowledged. So when your data is out there, someone else is able to take it, manipulate it, use it, analyze it. So the, this pro data protection issues is something I will always push for, especially for our early career academics. And then scientific contributions require alternate metrics. We need to develop new protocols to support open peer review, new ways of managing research performance, new ways of finding research, and new ways to include women and girls in open science. So what is it we are pushing for? I have openly stated this many a times to call it Ubuntu for open science. I, we all know that it is relates to I am because you are. And in open science, this is exactly what it is. We exist in an ecosystem. What you do impacts me and vice versa. And uh, with this, I'd like to say, you know, let us change our narrative to 2030. We need to define our own space to be in so that we can say we are game players and game changers in this open science movement. And with that, I say thank you. So here's the mastermind at our library service, Mr. Lazarus Matiriropa. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rakshni. Thank you so much, Rakshni. Uh, that was a nice way to wind down uh, today's session. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Mazum Kumzo Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on all our channels for more updates and for candid stories by researchers, policymakers, higher education leaders, and innovators on their journeys. See you in our next episode.